Jesus came down from the mountain with them and stood on a large area of level ground. A great company of his disciples and a huge crowd of people from all around Judea and Jerusalem and the area around Tyre and Sidon joined him there. They came to hear him and to be healed from their diseases, and those bothered by unclean spirits were healed. The whole crowd wanted to touch him because power was going out from him and he was healing everyone. Jesus raised his eyes to his disciples and said, Happy are you who are poor because God's kingdom is yours. Happy are you who hunger now because you will be satisfied. Happy are you who weep now because you will laugh. Happy are you when people hate you, reject you, insult you, and condemn your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice when that happens. Leap for joy because you have a great reward in heaven. Their ancestors did the same things to the prophets. But how terrible for you who are rich because you have already received your comfort. How terrible for you who have plenty now because you will be hungry. How terrible for you who laugh now because you will mourn and weep. How terrible for you when all speak well of you. Their ancestors did the same things to the false prophets. It's the word of God for the people of God. So, fairly uplifting place to end our scripture passage this morning. Now, over the last few weeks, following our celebration of Jesus' birth, we've been focusing on the manifestation of Jesus, the ways in which Jesus has been revealed as the Son of God to the world. We've had the heavenly pronouncements, the visitors from far-off lands. We've seen the miracles, and we've heard Jesus' own proclamation. We've heard that Jesus is a powerful teacher and a healer, whose fame has been spreading throughout the land. And we have seen his prophetic claim to be the Messiah, the one from God who would come and turn things around. And in between the stories that we have read and worship together, Jesus can be found healing those who are on the margins of society and getting in arguments with the religious leaders about what it is exactly that the scriptures mean. And on at least one occasion, he manages to accomplish both of these things at the same time. Healing a man and then getting in an argument about whether it was okay to heal on the Sabbath day. But until today, we've not really been able to see directly the teaching that it was that Jesus was known for. It's been suggested in the stories that we've heard, and and we've been able to make some guesses based on the things that we have read each week. But as in today's text that we finally get to see what it is that Jesus is teaching that was causing his fame to be spreading throughout all the region. And what we find is a message that is surely as challenging for us today still as it was for the people in Jesus' time. In the portion of the story that we have today, Jesus has just been off praying on a mountain with his disciples And during this time, he appoints the 12 that we know so well to be his apostles. So beyond simply being followers of Jesus, 
they are being prepared to be the ones who will go forth and continue that ministry that Jesus is starting. And then Luke tells us here in this gospel passage that Jesus came down from the mountain and stood on level ground. Now this is slightly different from the version of this story that we find in Matthew that many of us also know. In Matthew's version, Jesus is preaching from an elevated place. Matthew wants to make it clear that Jesus is king over all kings. But here in Luke's story, Luke makes it clear that Jesus is standing on level ground. Luke wants to highlight the servanthood of Jesus, God coming down to stand with us and raise us up, all of us. And truly, this, both, the symbolism of both of these has its place for us in our stories. It's good for us to see Jesus as Lord, Jesus as King over all kings, but it's also good for us to remember that Jesus is God come down to live with us. And here in Luke's story, we kind of get this little snippet of gospel all compressed into one. Jesus come down to be equal with us on level ground. And then Jesus heals, and Jesus teaches. According to Luke, this is the heart of the message that Jesus lays out. And we hear the challenge in this message for us. Now, many of us are likely familiar with these Beatitudes, these blessings. Beatitudes is the name that we give to these blessings that we find here and in the Gospel of Matthew. This is because the Latin that is used in each of these phrases begins with beati. And in both the Latin and the Greek, the words that are used can be translated as blessed or happy. In Matthew, we get a list of eight blessings. But here in Luke, the gospel writer gives us a little bit of a different list. And it is this version, I think, that causes us so much challenge. You see, Luke just takes four of the same statements that Matthew had, but then Luke follows these up with the woes. These woes kind of mirror the blessings that Jesus was just discussing. Now, you probably noticed that in the version that I read this morning, we didn't have blessings and woes. And I did this on purpose. Sometimes we have a bit of a preconceived notion about what it means to be blessed. We see it on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever the social media app or site is that people are using today with the hashtag blessed. Every time that, you know, our day is going really well or we show up at Starbucks and there's no line. And how often do we actually use the word woe? Oh, woe is me. Do we really have any sense of what that actually means? But when we hear it with this language that we're familiar with, we get two very clear things out of this passage. First, just hearing it with language that we can easily understand and relate to gives us a better idea of the meaning in this text. We understand what it means to be happy. We understand and have some understanding of what it means for things to be terrible. 
Even if we sometimes have a bit of a skewed understanding of what those things mean, we still kind of get that language. It's a little more relatable to us than the idea of being blessed or being woeful. And second, when we hear the text this way, it makes us clear that that Jesus is making a statement and not really performing an action. You see, Jesus is neither conferring a blessing nor calamity on anyone as he is sharing his teaching today. Instead, he's trying to make a statement about how things are. He's talking about the here and the now. These statements that Jesus makes are about society and the lived reality of what is going on in the world. They're not really spiritual statements or or about the state of anyone's soul, either here, now, in the present, or in the future to come. It is this second point that makes this teaching of Jesus so challenging for us. It is just as much a conviction of our present reality and a call to action on behalf of those on the margins, those that we would consider others, as it was to the people of Jesus' time, Jesus is trying to usher all of us into the kingdom now, here, in the present. And that kingdom looks very different from the earthly kingdoms that we are used to. The kingdoms created by humanity tend to value certain things. Money or power or prestige. And then we hear about this kingdom of God... where we are called to serve those who are in need. In God's kingdom, the poor inherit, the hungry are fed, the hurting find joy, the rejected and the marginalized are raised up. Their present happiness and satisfaction is found in their reliance on God. Sometimes it's easiest to trust in God when you don't really have much else to fall back on. We are better able to see the source of our blessings when things do not come easiest to us. And when he reverses each of these situations, Jesus again is making a statement about the present reality of both the world that we live in and the kingdom of God. Is the one who is rich able to recognize that that gift comes from God? Is the one that is well-fed and surrounded by plenty able to recognize the source of all the things that they have? Will those that value prestige and recognition, power and authority, be able to subject themselves to the leadership of God? When all live in God's kingdom and all are equals, will those who have had much in the eyes of the world be able to recognize what is good? about the new reality. Or to think of it solely in terms of that present societal implication into which Jesus is speaking, will those that have already received blessings from God, those who are rich and have plenty, see both the source of those gifts and recognize the call to use those gifts to serve others? Those gifts come with a purpose not simply our present personal enjoyment. 
This is what Jesus is saying in these statements. He's neither offering a blessing to those in need, nor is he cursing those with plenty. He's simply speaking about the expectation to serve those in need as part of a reality of living in the kingdom of God. He's speaking to the need to give up our notions of what it is that makes us rich. And if we look back in our text to the song that Mary sang during her pregnancy, after she was visited by the angel, this is exactly what she was saying then. The lowly are lifted up and the powerful brought low. The hungry are filled with good things and the rich are sent away empty. The kingdom of God is not modeled on human institutions. So our notions of what makes one rich or poor no longer apply. Those who are powerful by earthly standards are miss out by refusing to submit to God. Those who are rich by earthly standards go away empty-handed because they are unable to recognize the value in what God is giving. Now, as I worked through the text this week, I was reminded of Willy Wonka. So, have you read the book or seen the movies? Any of the movies? Yeah. So, you may recall that Willy Wonka was a candy maker, and so he started this contest where five lucky people were going to win the chance to come and visit the factory. And the factory had been closed to the public for years, so this was like a really big deal. Everyone wanted to come and see Willy Wonka and see his factory. And probably we were a bit unsurprised as we're hearing the story or watching the movie that we're unsurprised by the first four kids who are identified in the, in the movie as winning their tickets. You see, they, they used their, their riches or their, their own skills or abilities in order to make sure that they got that ticket and got to be there. They received their tickets based solely on their own actions and efforts. There was no outside force involved in their ability to be able to be there. But Charlie is different. Be it destiny or luck or whatever you want to call it, he gains entry and wins that last winning ticket almost as an afterthought. His family had to scrimp and save just to be able to afford to buy one chocolate bar for Charlie to have for his birthday. And we get this built up and we're so sure that he's going to open that bar and it's going to be a winner and it's not. Then he somehow happens across a bit of money that's just enough for him to buy another candy bar and it's that one that has the golden ticket in it. And as the children all come to the factory on that day when they are to receive their prize, it's this boy, Charlie, the child from the poor family who barely made it there, who shows any sense of gratitude or joy at being included. All the other children acted as if it was just their right to be there. But Charlie was grateful. And in the end, we learned that what Willy Wonka was really trying to do was, was find that person who shared that same sense of joy and wonder about candy 
that he could then start to groom to take over for him. He wanted someone who could appreciate that the candy was just about joy. It didn't really have to have a point. And he found that quality not in, not in the ones that assumed it was their right to be there. Not in those who were rich in the way that the world might judge it. But he found it in the poor boy who was fascinated and overjoyed with seeing the workings of the factory and having the chance to be there. In doing this, Willy Wonka is flipping our expectations about who it is that gets to inherit the kingdom. The last is first, and the first comes last. And it is the same sense of flipping our expectations of the world that we hear Jesus teaching us in today's story. When it comes to the kingdom of God, those who are rich and esteemed in our world in some ways have more to overcome to find joy in that kingdom than those who do not already have enough. Those who take what God has already given them without recognizing the source and the purpose of that gift have already received their reward. Jesus is not condemning them just for being rich, just for having plenty, but he is challenging them to see that those riches are gifts from God who are meant to be of service to all people. Jesus teaches us that the kingdom of God is unlike our earthly kingdoms. It is no wonder that the people in the countryside were flocking to him. He heals with the power of God, and he teaches a new world that flips our expectations about what it means to be rich and what it means to be poor. He flips our expectations about who it is that should be happy. And it is no wonder that the religious authorities and others in privilege were less thrilled to hear him. Jesus points out how their assumptions often run contrary to God's kingdom. The riches themselves were not the point. As we draw to a close this morning, I want us to remember the story of Charlie and Willy Wonka. In the end, Charlie inherits the chocolate factory, but he finds his sense of joy both in what he receives and in what he is able to then provide for others. He dreams up new candies that are meant to delight people, not just himself. And he never loses sight of where he has come from and how grateful he is for all that he has received. It is this same sense of gratitude for all we have received, the same sense of compassion for others in need that Jesus is pointing each of us to today. God offers blessings and gifts to all of the people of God. And then Jesus comes along and flips our expectations of what those gifts are really for. The gifts we receive from God are not for us alone, but are meant to be shared with all of God's people. Are we able to receive with joy what God has offered? Are we able to use all that God has given us for the betterment of all of the people in our community? Or are we more concerned with holding on to what we have, with protecting those things that we see as ours alone? 
Jesus teaches us today that one path leads to joy while the other leads to sorrow, which path will we follow? Jesus calls us down a path of gratitude and compassion, a path characterized by love for all of God's children. May we hear this, not as a, this call not as a condemnation of where we are now, but as invitation into a greater life, a life lived in deeper relationship with God. As part of our journey down this path that Jesus is calling us to, I wanted to draw your attention back to the survey that Nick mentioned earlier that's found in your bulletins. You can, you can fill out this survey now if you happen to have a pen or a pencil or um, there's a link that you can use to fill it out online. And as we are meeting to discuss the vision for our church, our community, we're looking to these surveys to help us understand where are people in their understanding of what it means to be disciple? Where are the ways that we are meeting the needs of your journey of discipleship? And where are the needs that perhaps are not currently being met in our community? So filling these surveys out will help us to be able to better understand where we are currently as a church and where it is that we are going and what further needs need to be met. So I ask you, if you have time to fill them out now, go ahead and fill them out. You can um, go to the link on your phone and go ahead and uh, fill those out if you have time. But just to let us know, you know, where are you in your journey of discipleship? Where are you in following Jesus? So I invite you now just to take some time to do that. If you fill out a survey here, you can hand, it to, hand that off to the ushers or any of the staff members. Or if you fill it out online, we'll, we'll get those and be able to use those. So thank you for your time this morning. And please help us to better understand where it is that we need to be.